Anyway, Romans chapter 16. This is one of those subjects that is not heard of much today, period. And the last thing you would be instructed to do in your typical independent fundamental Baptist church is preach it Sunday morning. I remember being at a conference in Maryland one year, and there was this guy from New Hampshire. And he, he made his point very strongly, which I didn't agree with it then, and I still don't agree with it. That, you know, you, you need to preach salvation messages Sunday morning. You, you need to preach this other stuff to your people that are more faithful on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. You know, you need to focus on the, the main thing on Sunday morning. Well, my question is, how do you ever get that Sunday morning crowd to learn doctrines of holiness if they don't come Sunday night and they don't come Wednesday night? Are they ever going to hear about it? I mean, you're the guy that's responsible to teach it to them. But see, you know, the problem is these doctrines separate the wheat from the chaff. You know, Peter says that, 1 Peter, I think it's chapter 2, verse 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere miracle of the word that you may grow thereby. If you're a child of God, there ought to be a desire for the whole counsel of God. For everything the word of God has for you, you there ought to be a desire for it, just like a baby desires mom's milk. And a baby desires mom's milk a lot. And so if there's not that desire, you know, and I think this is what the Lord was talking about, you know, those that received the, the word on stony ground and, or in the, um, anyway, stony ground, and with joy and on received it, and, you know, and, and, you know, endureth for a while, but then by and by they were offended, and so they, they scooped. It shows they're not real. You know, this, like I say, this is probably one of the most misunderstood and maligned doctrines of the Christian faith. Uh, and this, I believe, is in large part due to the false teaching concerning what is a church or a body of Christ. Now, we're talking about separation here this morning. We're going to look at verses 17 through 20. But biblical separation is a church matter. Now, when I say a church matter, when I say church, understand I'm talking about a local church. I don't believe there's such a thing as a universal visible church. I used to believe that, but I don't believe it anymore. Because I don't believe the Bible teaches it. And you can't make separation fit into that context. Because if you believe in a universal and visible church, that, that is the idea that all Christians are in this invisible body, which is a contradiction in itself. Is a body invisible? You know, that's in itself is a, is a contradiction of terms. But, but you know, this, there's this idea out there that, that, uh, that uh, you know, the church or the body of Christ is this invisible thing where everybody that's saved is in it. But the other problem with that is when Paul wrote to, the Corinth, to Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12, he says that there'd be no schism in the body. Now, if you're talking about a local church, you, know, you can eliminate schisms in a local church, but you will never, you, can, you cannot, it is an impossibility to eliminate schisms in this universal invisible body. It's full of it. 
it isn't even practical to try and make it such. You know. So when we talk about biblical separation, it is a church matter. It's in the context. It fits in the context of a local church. Uh, And separation, I believe, is the guard or the wall about the church. You know, somebody said that they thought our church was conservative. And I guess you could say that it is. But my question would be, what keeps it that way? Why? You know, many churches start out conservative, but they don't stay there. Why not? Well, it's because they don't teach or practice biblical separation. They don't practice it. And you, once you start letting down standards, there's no end to where you're going to stop. And, and if you look at churches and their patterns, that's what, that's what you see. Uh, your separation, of course, is based on the holiness of God and is the manifestation of that holiness in his church. And holiness is who God is. It's who he is. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, he says, For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Isaiah 57, 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. With him also is of a contrite and humble spirit. Revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite once. Isaiah 40, 25. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal? Saith the Holy One. And then, of course, 1 Peter 1, 16. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So, You know, this separation in the context here is talking about separating from those who teach or cause division in the church. And it doesn't have to be a teacher. It can be anybody who raises questions or seeks to lead others away from doctrines that are held by the church. You know, Titus calls that kind of person a heretic. A heretic. So as we consider this morning, I'm going to read verses uh, 17 through 20. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them as caused divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrines which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So let's have a word of prayer and look at this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time and opportunity we have to open your precious word. And I pray as we look into this, uh, as we consider this subject and this portion of scripture, I pray that you would encourage us and challenge us, Father. Uh, help us just to be open, receptive, and have that heart that's willing to to obey your commandments for your glory and for your honor and for our good. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's the title of this message, simply Separation in the Church. So I've got four points this morning and then some sub-points. First of all, the command to separate. In verse 17 it says, Now I command you, or I beseech you, brethren... Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. Now, 
this isn't the only place in the Bible where God tells us that we are to separate from those who are practicing or who are teaching false doctrine. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when he wrote to the church at Corinth, he, he told them that there was one that they need to separate from. And, and he says in, in verse 1 of uh, 1 Corinthians 5, It is reported commonly there is fornication among you. Such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So here they were commanded, the church of Corinth was commanded, to vote this guy out of the assembly. To vote him out. He was a member of the church of Corinth. He was living in fornication, open fornication. It was commonly reported. It was well known. And Paul said, you need to separate from him. You need to vote him out of the membership. So they are to separate from him. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. Galatians 1, verse 8. Again, Paul uses some very strong language when he says, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. In chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And that because a false brother unawares brought in, who came in probably by our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that might bring us unto bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with it. You know, we didn't, we didn't give any place to these false teachers. And of course, then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and verses 6, and also then verse 13, or verse 14, <clears throat> he talking about those who would not work, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition, or that would be the teachings passed down. That's the, what tradition means. The tradition which we received of us. And then verse 14 says, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. So again, they were commanded to separate from that one who was, who was doing contrary to the teaching of the Word of God. He wasn't earning his living. He wasn't providing for his house. And so he was to be, be reprimanded. And, if, and, and you know, you know, the, the purpose church discipline, the practice of it is, you, know, you go to that person and you confront them of their sin. If they repent, well, that's it. If they refuse to repent, then you put him out. You put him out, you're to separate from them. And that's, and that's the way it's supposed to be done. So we are commanded to separate. There is a clear command given. And I want you to notice, first of all, uh, as we think about the command to separate, the gravity of, of the situation or the separation. He says, I beseech you, brethren. I beg you. In other words, this is not a light matter. This is a serious matter. You know, the vitality and future of your church at Rome is at stake in this matter. The vitality and future of Lighthouse Baptist Church is dependent upon this truth. On its separation, and separation is unto God. You see, our separation shouldn't be focused on people. 
You know, we separate from people, but our separation is, is under God. It's an obedience to God. It's an obedience to God. And see, the reason we separate from people is they are not obedient to God. That's the only reason you separate from people, because they're not obedient to God. And again, it's a local church matter. You know, it is none of our business what the church down the road does. That doesn't matter. You know, it, publicly, out in the public, you know, other churches do affect us in a way. Because people look at a church and say they're all alike. You know, that's how the world looks at it. You know, I remember years ago, an evangelist friend of mine said that when, when, and some of you probably, you younger ones don't remember the Jim Baker and the, uh, Jim Baker and what was the other one? Swagger, Jimmy Swagger scandals. And, uh, but anyway, he said, uh, he said I was, he was sailing somewhere. He's on board a ship and the sailor, he, he went up, he was on, standing along the railing talking to the sailor and he began to witness to him. He said, oh, you're one of those Jimmy Baker and Jimmy Swagger types. He said, no, don't lump me in with those two. He said, I exposed their false teaching years ago. But see, the world looks at Christians and says they're all alike. So it does affect us, but we have no business there. You know, it's not our matter. You know, we're not to, we can't exercise discipline. Again, there you go back to the universal church philosophy. And I used, you know, I was part of that. And so I know what all that has, you know, and then you're separating from this guy and this guy. You can't talk to this and you can't have this and you can't, you know, and you're worried about, you know, what's he going to say if I talk to this guy? Forget all that. That's a mess. You see, we need to worry about what's right here. And that's it. That's it. And so, it's, it's a serious situation. You know, in fact, it was so serious in the churches at Revelation, you know, God warned them if, if, if they did not obey the Lord, He would remove their candlestick. So it is a serious matter. Not only do we see the gravity of separation, but we, saw, we also are to identify the perpetrator. If you notice again in verse 17, Now I beseech you, brethren... Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoided. So we are to mark them. That word mark, the Greek word is skopeo, where we get our word scope. All you men know what a scope is. And what is the purpose of that scope? You know, you put the crosshairs on your target. You are identifying your target. That's what I use my scope for. Identifying. So it's to mark. You're to identify. Them which cause the division. In other words, they're the authors of the division. And again, this requires that you identify. Point out who is the cause of the division or the defense. You know, Paul said to deliver such a one. Now, he didn't know the guy's name. But he, he said, you know, you, you know who it is. And, you know, so how do you know if you not identify you know, you know, should the preacher get up and say, whoever of you is causing division, don't show up in the next service. Or, you know, I heard a pastor say this one time, that so-and-so, somebody in the congregation said this, and if it doesn't stop, I will deal with it. 
And I'm sitting there, and I was in the congregation. And I'm sitting there thinking, boy, that was real smart. You know what everybody did in the congregation thought? I wonder who that is. And then they all start sleeking away like, oh, we've got to be careful what we do around here. You know what that does? That puts everybody on edge and uneasy and suspicious. I mean, you want to start gossip? There's a few people who knew who it was. In fact, Brother Green said, why didn't he just tell us who it was? We know who it was. Why didn't he identify the man? Or deal with him about it. Not threaten the whole congregation. You know what Paul did? He said, I beseech Yodius and Sintity. You imagine the pastor goes up, hey, Yodius and Sintity, you'd be of the same mind. Well, you know what? I believe the pastor read that letter to the church. Probably everybody in that church knew those two were having problems. So he pointed it out. He also pointed out Hymenaeus and Philetus in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He said, who concerning the truth have erred, saying the resurrection is past already and overthrew the faith. See, he needs to end up John, that, the, the apostle of love, you know, he would, never, he would never do anything that was not nice. He said, I wrote in the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence, among them receiveth us not. See, these... They need to be identified because they are causing divisions or dissension in the church. You know, an offense is to cast a stumbling block before one, or to entice to sin, or to draw people away from true doctrine into sin and error. And he said it's contrary. In other words, they're opposing the truth. They're opposing the church of God. And so they need to be identified. But there also needs to be action taken against the perpetrator. If you notice in verse 17, he says, and avoid them. The word avoid means to turn away from, to keep aloof from, to shun one. In other words, they're to be voted out of the church. And we call that church discipline. Church discipline. Think about it. If there's a guy at work, Brother Boyle, if there's a guy at work that's causing problems, do you just let it go on and on and on? I mean, if you have a, if you have a child that is committing offenses in your home, what will you do, Dad? Well, it's called the Board of Education to the Seat of the Learning. Or discipline. You see, we're to avoid them. Now, what does it mean to avoid them? Well, we're to vote them out of the church and we're to treat them like we would treat any other unsaved person. We don't have common fellowship with them, we're not buddy buddies. We're not their enemies. I mean, if, if I see them on the street, 
I stop, stop, shake their hands, say hello, ask how they're doing. But we don't have spiritual fellowship anymore. I don't invite them over for supper. In fact, Corinthians tells us no, not to eat with one. You know, everyone is welcome. And I want you to think about this. Everyone is welcome at Lighthouse Baptist Church who is willing to learn and be obedient, strive to be obedient to the doctrines that we believe the Bible teaches. Everyone is welcome. But everyone does not stay. And there are some that we ask to leave. You know, we've had people come for a while and leave. We've had some join and stay for several years and then began to cause problems or divisions because they held a certain doctrines that were contrary to what we taught and practice, what we believe the Bible teaches. And they were asked to make things right but refused. So, they were voted out. You say, that sounds harsh. Well, go to Deuteronomy chapter 13. You know, and this, this is the principle. <clears throat> this is how serious this issue is to the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 13. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. See, this really proves whether a church really loves the Lord the God with all their heart, with all their soul. You know, there was a, I have a pastor friend who goes to some of those sort of Lord conference things. And he said he was at one of them, and they have always have this preacher's panel. You know, they put the preachers up on the platform, and then you can ask them questions, any questions you want. So he asked the question, what do you do about church discipline? <laughs> Got real quiet. And then he said, Paul Chapel said, we don't. We don't. Maybe that's why Paul Chapel's son pastors a contemporary church. Because we don't. See, this is really proving our love for the Lord. Um, verse 4. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God, fear him, and keep his commands, and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him and cleave to him. And that prophet, or that dreamer dream, shall be put to death. Because he has spoken to turn you away, you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, and redeemed you out of the house of bondage, to thrust thee out of the way, which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in, so shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of you. You know, and, and really... What church discipline is, you're, you're voting them out. What you're saying is they're lost. Paul said when he wrote to Corinth to deliver such a one unto Satan. So 
they were considering him lost because he would not repent. Now we know, if you read 2 Corinthians, you'll understand in chapter 2, that man did repent after they put him out. And because he repented, it shows that he was truly born again. He gave evidence. He had a change of heart. Change of feeling. Change of heart toward God. You know, a person that's truly born again, David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. See, David showed he had a different heart than Saul. And so... You know, this is a, you know, people say, well, that, you know, you know and, and if there's a city, you know, Deuteronomy 13 goes on and talks about it. If there's a city given over to it, you're supposed to destroy the city. Well, you might say, well, preacher, that's not so bad. No, well, the, you know, when false... When false teaching starts, you know what that eventually leads to? When it's tolerated, pretty soon you're going to have baby sacrifice. That's what Israel's sin led to. It didn't start with baby sacrifice. It didn't start with sodomy, but it was left go and it led to that. That's where we are in America. We have preachers who condone this stuff and it did not start with where we are, but that's how we got to where we are. You follow what I'm saying? Sin is progressive. You know, and we will help anyone. We will help anyone that desires to please the Lord. We're here to help people. But they need to have a heart that wants to please the Lord. You see, this is a serious matter. One commentator said this, quote, Mad dogs are shot. Infectious diseases are quarantined. But evil teachers who would divide to their destruction and draw away the saints with teaching contrary to the doctrine of Christ and his apostles are everywhere tolerated. Unquote. And they should not be. So we see the command. Notice the cause of schism. So why do they do it? Well, verse 18 tells us. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So why do they do it? Well, there's an attitude of self-satisfaction. They are seeking to please themselves. The word belly means to give up to the pleasures of the palate. What tastes good or feels good? And see, they are simply seeking what feels good to them. That's, they call it nowadays seeker-sensitive. We need to be sensitive to the feelings. It's not about feelings. It's about what is right. It's about what is right. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, Peter spoke of this when he said, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozer, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. See, he was going after that which pleases him. That's why Balaam went to Moab. He wanted the money. What pleased him? You know, the rhetoric of these many times is all positive. 
these false teachers. It's all positive. You know, he says here, good words and fair speeches. It's said, you know, a lot of people will listen to a preacher on the radio and they say, he sounds so good. But the problem isn't what he says. The problem is what he will not say. Because Don Green used to say that 70% of this Bible is negative. It's against you. Yes, there are positive. There's much positive. But this is, maybe many people consider a negative doctrine, but it has a positive effect. It is to bring us closer to God. So these will, they, they, they lead people astray with good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. You know, it's fair speaking, or those smooth and plausible addresses, addresses which stimulate goodness. Polished language, artfully adapted to captivate the hearer. The, yeah, actually, the word here is eulogia, where we get our word eulogy. What's a eulogy? Well, you, know, you usually get up and you praise a person that's died. And you say all the good things. Now, I've never been to a funeral where they, 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 they told all the good things and then they told all the bad. Now, see, this is what these kind of guys do. Could be, or women do, they're women too, you know, do this. They want to be all positive. Joel Steen is all positive. But they seduce. That word deceive means to seduce, to seduce wholly. One is rightly called Joelstein, the king of prosperity gospel. One commentator said this about Joelstein. A few weeks ago, there was an event here at Dodger Stadium with Joelstein, 35,000 people at Dodger Stadium, something like that. He is now the largest, quote-unquote, church, I'm using that word loosely, in America, down in Houston. You need to understand that he is a pagan religionist in every sense. He's a quasi-pantheist. Jesus is a footnote that satisfies his critics and deceives his followers. The idea of this whole thing is that men have power in themselves to change their lives. In his definitive book, Your Best Life Now, he says, and that ought to be a giveaway since the only way this could be your best life is if you're going to hell. Now he says that anyone can create by faith and words the dreams he desires. So all you have to do is have faith and say the right words, and you will have your dreams that you desire. Health, wealth, happiness, success. The list is always the same. Here's a quote from his book, Your Best Life Now. Quote, If you develop an image of success, health, abundance, joy, peace, happiness, nothing on earth will be able to hold those things from you. Unquote. And see, that's the law of the attraction that's a part of this kind of system. Here's another quote. Quote, All of us are born for earthly greatness. You were born to win. Unquote. Win what? Uh, maybe Paul never got that memo. Or Isaiah. Or Jeremiah. Or Jesus. We're told he was born to die. And Paul said, Oh, wait, I- I'm the chief of sinners. And he said, I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He didn't know anything about this wealth, health, and abundance gospel. Because it's not the gospel. 
It's a bunch of lies. And this guy is deceiving people with this rhetoric, these good words and fair, fair speeches. Another quote, God's word is not the Bible. God's word is that word that comes to us mystically, spiritually, and that tells us what we should want. Unquote. Here's another, Joel Steen's prayer. I quote, I thank you, Father, that I have your favor. Unquote. Did he meet the Pharisee in Luke 18? And then there's another quote. I know these principles are true because they work for me and my wife. Unquote. So that's the test of truth, him and his wife. He said, quote, even finding a perfect parking spot at the mall, unquote. And this guy says, and I asked, what about the old lady you cut off getting it? You see, they are feeding their own belly, their own feelings, their own emotions, their own wants, their own desires with good words and fair speeches. That's the cause of the schism. And their target is the simple. Notice, to deceive the hearts of the simple. The word simple means fearing no evil from others. They're distrusting no one. We, there's a word for that. We call it gullible. You know, there are a lot of Christians, especially new ones, and sorry ladies, but a lot of women that think all churches are the same and all preachers are the same. And that I mean, if he's a preacher, he will tell you the truth. Let me, let me in a little secret. The biggest liars stand behind pulpits and are, most, are the most deceiving people in the world. Satan himself has transformed himself into an angel of light. Paul said. Everybody that says they're a preacher is going to tell you the truth. And what they do is they target those who are young in the Lord or who lack discerning that think everybody has honest motives. They are wolves. They're like wolves. You know, a wolf senses the weak and that's what he goes after. A wolf has an uncanny ability to sense any weakness. Let me give you an illustration. I read this book. There's a book called Wolves in Your Flock, written by an old preacher. Dope story in there. This family that got this wolf as a pup and raised it like a dog. And they kept it chained in their yard. And, and, you know, it, it 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 seemed fine. But one day, the neighbor came home. I mean, it was fine with the neighbor's kids and everything. One day, the neighbor came home, and, and, then, and they weren't home, and the, dog was, or the wolf was on its chain, and the little two-year-old, I think it was, went over to pet the wolf. But as she reached out to pet it, she stumbled on the, they stumbled on the curb and fell and cried out in pain, and instantly that wolf attacked and killed her. That's the instinct of wolf. He sensed weakness he sensed it you know these people these false teachers prey on weak people 
that lack discerning. You know, the Bible says we're to try the spirits whether they be of God. And so that's the cause of schism. Then there's a third thing, the charitable source of the charge. The motivation of Paul here is warning to the churches of Rome. If notice in verse 19, For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, in your behalf. But yet I would have you wise on that which is good and simple concerning that which is evil, concerning evil. So he commended them for their obedience, but he also gave them a warning. And this is, this is interesting to me. You know, our, our obedience, or what we may look at as success, can become a thing of pride. We can become proud of our stand for God. I mean, I used to be, you know, when I was in that universal church, fundamentalist crowd that I, you know, fellowship some with, and I heard this statement a few times. And, you know, I was like, really? In fact, this one preacher said, well, I want to get ordained because I'm afraid, you know, maybe in a few years there won't be a good enough crowd around to ordain me. Their philosophy was, we're, we're the only ones. Is that not pride? By the way, the leader of that group committed suicide. You see, the guy that everything surrounded, and everybody fell at his feet, called him president, except me. That's why I kind of got pushed out. Yeah, everybody called him president. You know, he had to dress him properly. He committed suicide. But see, everything evolved around a man. It became a pride thing. It's like popery. You see, it, it can be, and so Paul's warning. You know, the interesting thing here, Paul's he's saying, you know, we need to be wise. He said, you know, I'm I'm glad for your obedience. I'm glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet. Think about that, but yet. He's giving them a warning. I would have you to be wise. That word wise means skilled, expert, unto that which is good and right, of a true value. You know, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testament of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Uh, Proverbs fifteen twenty four: the way of life is above to the wise. You know, we realize our wisdom comes from God. Our obedience comes from God. He gives us the wisdom to understand these things. And he says we are to be simple concerning evil. The word simple here means without a mixture of evil, of evil free from guile or innocent from it. In other words, we are not to be crafty. Beware of going to crafty or manipulation. The word simple means free from guile. The word guile means insidious cunning in attaining a goal, crafty or artful deception. Hey, Joel Steen's a, he's, he's an insidious cunning. He's figured out a way to get people to follow him. He's figured out a way. You know, insidious means operating or proceeding in an inconspicuous or, in, uh, or seemingly harmless way, but actually with grave effect. Well, he's having great effect in a seemingly harmless way, but he's not telling his people the truth. See, children do this to manipulate their parents into giving them what they want. 
Wives do this to control their husbands. Church members do it to control their pastors. You know, well, if you don't do this, I'll leave. Pastors do it to get people to follow them or to get them to stay. You see, that sounds terrible. I know, but it's the truth. You know, there's an interesting phrase in 2 Peter 3.18 when he's talking about these false prophets, and he said they allure. They allure. What's that sound like, Daniel? That's exactly what it is. It means to bait, to catch by bait, to beguile by blandishments. And the word blandishment means flattering or coaxing or enticing. So they're using bait. They're using bait. And and this is interesting when you consider Paul is writing this to the churches at Rome. Fast forward 300 years. What did the church at Rome become? They began to exalt themselves and became preeminent. You know, we don't really know why. You know, Rome was the, the, the seat of government and, and the goal of education, we do know this, the goal of education in ancient Rome was to be an effective speaker, to make a man an, a great orator. That was the goal of their education. So maybe it was their pastors, it seems, you know, from reading history, that their pastors were very influential men. They, they maybe they were probably maybe more educated, were great orators, and so they, they became, uh, people became attractive to them, and so they became puffed up. And they began to dominate or have preeminence over the other churches. You know, the Catholic Church didn't start just in one day. It was an evolving process. And this is what Paul's warning about right here. Yeah, I commend you for your obedience, but yet, so I'm giving you a warning. You need to beware. He wrote also in Romans 12, 16, be of the same mind one to another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Careful, church. Yeah, we strive to be right. But we have to be, be, be wise. Don't be wise in our own conceits. Think it's all because of us or we're the only ones. Because we're not. Of course, the page of history reveals to us that this is a destroyer of most churches. You know, destruction comes from within. Rome destroyed itself. America is crumbling within. And we as individuals, think about it, we as individuals can't be destroyed by Satan or by the world, but by our own choices. And that's what happens to most churches. They destroy from within. You know, Paul warns us in the Bible and other places, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Galatians 6.1, Beware, brethren, if any man be overtaken in the fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You need to consider yourself. And then I want to know the last thing here. We have a conquering Savior, verse 20. 
And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Yeah, church, Christian, the Lord is coming. You know, we are to be watchful, but we don't need to worry. We don't need, we're not to worry. We're to watch. We're to guard. God has entrusted us the care of his churches. We're to watch, but not worry. We're to be perceptive, but don't panic. You know, we are in the place of God's protection, the church of the living God. He said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And divisions, the divisions causer is satanic. And our Lord, as he says here, will destroy Satan and his minions. One of these days the Lord will take care of it all. But you know, God hates discord. In Proverbs 6, 6 to 19, he says, These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. And you know, I got to thinking about that and looking at all those seven things, and I come to the conclusion that a sower of discord is guilty of every one of them. Joel Olstein is leading people by his deception. He's leading people to their eternal deaths. His hands are going to be guilty of the blood of men and women who follow his pernicious ways. He's a false witness. It's proud. He's a liar. He's running mischief. I mean, he's, he's guilty of all of them. A sower of discord. You see, the, the focus of the church is not to be on our own bellies, our own selves, but the focus of the church is our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.18 says, He is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. You see, this separation is a serious issue. It is the protector of the church. It's the preserver of the life of the church. It keeps a church in relationship with the Lord. That's why the churches of Revelation were were losing, they were... They were on the edge of losing their relationship with the Lord because of a lack of separation. It is the guard. And we are, to, we are to discipline those who cause division. It is right. But we have to also guard against pride amongst ourselves. We're not the end. The Lord is. The Lord is. So separation in the church. We need to obey it. We need to take heed to it. We need to be wise concerning these things. And we need to practice them. Not consider them harsh, but right in the sight of our Lord.